This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sarah, you know what question I keep getting? What? Uh, am I getting an extra mini fridge when I go back in Puerto Rico? Everyone thinks I need to get that extra mini fridge. Well, everyone is right. Yeah. I 100% <laughs> agree. Bulls. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Liz Craft, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Sarah. That's me, Sarah Fain. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. And today, Sarah, is our summer listener questions episode. Yay! Can't believe it's summer already. It's well into summer. It's the middle of summer. I know. I can't believe it either. No. Our summer has gone very fast. Fast <laughs> and furious. And frankly, it can't go fast enough. I am looking forward to the fall. <laughs> I am too. All right. Shall we dive in? Yes. Let's do it. Okay. This first question comes from Caitlin. She says, hi, I always see music by XYZ in the opening credits of shows, and I've always been curious on what exactly this means. Is it the person who picks the playlist of songs, or is it the composer of background sounds like footsteps, doorbells, traffic, etc.? Or is it original score and mood music? Is it true that during, quote, party scenes, there's never actually any music playing during shooting? I'm so interested about all these music slash sound aspects and how it comes together. Well, those are actually different elements. Yes. No, it's a big, vast area. Yes. It's a huge, putting together the sound is a huge part of making television. The sound part, like footsteps and doorbells, that's called Foley. And it's done by a group um, who come in after it's cut and add to whatever the production sound is. And they do that in the mix. Like at the very, very end, everybody comes together for a sound mix and that's where all of these various elements come together. But when you see music by, that's usually the composer who's the person who writes the original music for the show. Yes, the score. Then there are music supervisors who do like the needle drops, which is find the songs that have already been written to put in the show over scenes. Yes, and they're responsible for clearing those, paying, you know, whatever you have to pay to use them. A lot of times they have to find sort of, if you say, well, I want a song like this, then they find a cheaper version of something that is similar um, but more affordable to, say, a Coldplay song. And then, Sarah, she has to question, is it true that there usually is not music playing at parties when people are dancing, etc.? That can go either way. It's true that a lot of times you don't want to have music because you don't know if it's what you're going to decide on in the 
final version of the show. So you don't want everyone to be moving exactly to a certain beat and then you can't change the song. But other times they do play some sort of music just so people sort of have something to react to, but it tends to be a little more generic. But then they'll sort of turn it off once the actors start talking and people have to remember that beat in their heads and keep dancing to it. (laughs) That's right. And in the pilot of Fantasy Island, there's actually a scene with Bellamy Young where she's sort of doing a dance slash waltz while she eats all these wonderful foods And we played Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy while she was doing it. So she had something to move to. But then we aren't actually using that in the show, which complicates things because there's she said, like, thank you, thank you. And had all these kind of great sounds during the scene that we're now going to have to recreate. Yes. Using ADR and using foley and all of these things to get footsteps and the actual room sounds since we can't use what we shot with the music playing so there are so many layers to how it's done and how it all comes together and then there's loop group liz yes loop group very loop group add the sort of lines and other sounds or if there's if you're at a party and you want murmuring or a restaurant the loop group does all of that our friend marie brazil has a loop group Um, Yes, and we work with her very uh, often. She's great. Yes. So there's a lot to the sound question and the music (laughs) question, and it's just a, it's a process. Okay, and then Connie Ann asks, which model of TV producing do we prefer? (laughs) Straight to series or shoot the pilot and see what happens? Boy, that's a loaded question right now, Connie Ann. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we're now, look, everyone's dream is to get a straight to series order because doing a pilot and then waiting to hear if it's picked up is, it's so hard, so so anxiety producing. And, And to get a straight to series order is the dream. But, you know, we have that with Fantasy Island and it does have disadvantages. The main one, really the only one, but it's a big one. Being that you are doing the pilot, the first episode of a show, when you're really still finding the voice, the sound, the look, all of it, at the same time that you're doing the rest of the season. And that is really tough. And that's where we are right now in the thick of that. Yeah. And the schedule is tough. And and on this one, it's particularly tough just because our air date is so close to our pickup date. Yes. If we had more time, it really would be a different conversation. It would be yes. much, 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 and like a thousand, add a thousand more muches and, and easier. Yes. But when the schedule is tight, that makes it much harder. And then you're like, why didn't they do a pilot? I could have handled but six it, months of anxiety waiting. <laughs> but if we had to choose, I would choose straight to series every time. Yeah, that's true. Vanessa asks if we're using different directors on Fantasy Island for different storylines the way the original Fantasy Island did. She said, or does that just introduce more headaches? We're using just a director per episode. So if there are two storylines in that episode, the director directs both storylines. So we're not doing it that way. But we are using um, different directors for most episodes, although we're lucky because a couple of our directors are doing more than one episode, which is always nice. Yes, and we also are not doing what they did on the original 
and having different writers for different storylines. They almost shot things, I think, totally separately with different writers and different directors and then just stuck them together. I think we have one Uh episode where we have different writers for the A story and the B story, episode six. Right. But that just sort of worked out that way. Patty asked, did you come up with the idea of a Fantasy Island remake or was it pitched to you? Sarah, it's interesting to me how many questions we're getting about Fantasy Island. I, I know, like I love it. everyone's interest in Fantasy yes. Island. It's almost like our Fantasy Island listener questions episode. Yay! It was pitched to us, the idea of doing it. Sony, Gemstone, a division of Sony, wanted to remake uh, Fantasy Island, and they knew Fox wanted to do it. And so they were looking for someone to bring it to life. And uh, as soon as we heard about it, we were like, we're in because we're huge fans. And it's nice because we keep hearing, we've been trying to do this for years and never found the way to make it work. And we're like, well, fantastic. We figured out how to make it work. This is very exciting. Hopefully you all agree. Yes. That we made it work. But we really think it works. We're really excited about this show. Oh, and then Catherine asked Liz about the books that we have written together. She said, what inspired that idea and how was that experience? Would you do it again? Yes, we wrote two books together. Oh, gosh, a while ago now. Two young adult books about four friends who decided that when they graduated high school, they wanted to take a gap year and they all went off and had a different adventure. It was funny because we had wanted to write books and we wanted to do it together because it just made sense. And Sarah, we knew that like we couldn't actually write together like paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we came up with this idea of having four characters having different storylines so that we could each write two of the characters. Yeah. So then we kind of did the outline together and wove the four stories together in outline form. And then you wrote the prose for two of the characters, and I wrote the prose for two of the characters, and then it all wove together into the two books. And we should say the books are called Bass Ackwards and Belly Up and Foot Free and Fancy Loose. Yes. They're still floating around out there, I think. We loved them. Oh, yes. We love them. The funny thing is we were working on The Shield at the time, and uh, it was a very intense job. And we were so exhausted that, like, I would read things I'd written and think you had written them. And you would read things you had written and think <laughs> I had written them because we were so out of our minds with exhaustion that we would forget what we'd written. It's good to remember that, like, this level of exhaustion that we're feeling now is something we've felt actually throughout our careers. <laughs> That's not true. Unique. <laughs> it's like having a baby. You forget about the pain yeah. once it's done. Exactly. And then would we do it again? I don't know. I mean, I think if we did something other than TV, we really want to do fiction podcasts. So I think probably we would do that together Yes, if we're not doing TV. But we both have books separately that we want to write. We just don't have time to write them. I know. I keep saying we need to nag each other into submission on that. I know. It's hard. Literally yesterday, Liz goes, you know, when you get settled in Ojai, you really should write a book. (laughs) I was like, no kidding. (laughs) I've only been trying to do that for like 10 years. Coming up, we'll answer a question about how we got our first staff position. But first, this break. Oh. 
Okay, Sarah, we're back with a question from Brooke. She says, I'd love to hear the more detailed story of how you got to your first staff position. I'm mainly wondering what you did outside of that between moving to LA and getting staff since networking and writing on spec doesn't pay the bills. Ain't that the truth? Yes, it is. So we moved out here together. And Sarah, I was writing young adult books and doing work for um, the company that made Sweet Valley High. Yes. And I was working as Lauren Holly's second assistant, which was basically an office job. And I also, well, ultimately, really, honestly, for us to do the work that we needed to do to get staffed, I ended up quitting that job so we could write specs. Um, And my grandmother, bless her, had left me some money. So I lived off that. And you weren't making enough off the books either. So you borrowed money. I mean, you made like nothing. Yes, you borrowed (laughs) money from Gretchen. And, you know, we were very lucky that we had people who essentially helped support us. I mean, we were also working our asses off, but who helped support us through that kind of seminal year. Yes. And my parents definitely also pitched in. (laughs) Yes. So we definitely have that, that place of privilege to be able to focus that time. But we were living close to the bone. I mean, it was, Oh my God. It was a lean time. (laughs) We say this, you know, and I don't know if we've talked about this lately, but we did nothing at that time in our life unless we felt it would lead to a writing job. I mean, it was a single-minded obsession. And I think, you know, that's what you have to have. Yeah. And we also didn't have any sort of knowledge of how hard it was. Oh yeah, we definitely not. But but I was going to say that we didn't have any like I I feel like people now want to tell their own story and express their mm. own thing and have mm-hmm. their own voice and feel their own unique vision come into being. We were just like, we want whatever the grunt work is, we'll do it. Like, you know, we did a Saturday morning show. We did like, we were just very nose to the grindstone, practical, had no sense of our own sort of artistic voice at all. We we were just like, we just wanted to work. Yeah. Yeah. And that ultimately it paid off. Yes, it did. And also we have to say our friend Todd, Todd Shulkin, who is a manager now, was an agent at the time. And he helped us get our first agent, which helped, you know, yes. set up all of these meetings and ultimately led to us getting our first freelance. We just there's a lot of luck involved. Yes, there is. And hard work. Yes. Both. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Jennifer says in Sarah's move to Ojai, it seems she's really committing to a life on Zoom as partners. Was that a hard decision to know that you won't be sharing an office and having as much in-person time? It's funny because I think I'm committing to a life of commuting. (laughs) (laughs) I think in general, more stuff is going to be on Zoom, but I'm planning to drive to your house a lot is really what I'm planning. Yeah. And I think we just realized that things tend to work out. So we talked about it, but probably only for like five to seven minutes. (laughs) You know what I mean? It was just like, well, you're like, I guess I'll drive a lot. And I was like, well, you can probably be on Zoom on Fridays. And I love Ojai. So I'll be willing to drive to Ojai. 
And we were just like, ah, it'll work out. I mean, we just didn't take it that seriously. I mean, one thing yeah. is like, I already don't want to work downtown living in Encino. I've said like, I won't do a job if it's downtown. And you're now going to be even more with me on that. Yeah, because I am going to be an double hour further away from downtown. <laughs> so it'll work out. We, you know, yeah. what we've realized over the years is like, you just have to let everybody do what they want to do and like live their life. And like, that's always the best answer. So I'm really not worried about it at all. I know I'm, uh, I'm much more worried about where we're going to live than how it's going to work once we get there. And I think, uh, you know, if we were staff writers, I wouldn't be moving to Ojai. There's, there is a different level oh, yeah. of, uh, I do expect people to accommodate for us more now than I did when we were staff writers. Now, I don't feel bad saying, you know what, we need to have an office in the Valley, as opposed right. to, sure, we'll drive to Sony. I'm not driving to Sony, <laughs> and I wouldn't have driven to right, Sony right. if I lived in West Toluca Lake either. So, right, you know, it's just different. And as a showrunner, you can say, hey, let's do a Zoom meeting on Monday or you can, like, there's things you can control how things go in a way that you obviously can't when you're a staff writer because someone else yeah. is in charge. So, um, so yeah, you, you have that ability to, to manage your own time. Yeah. And I also, I have to say, honestly, I'm kind of looking forward to driving more. Like, because Violet's school starts at 8 and she can stay there until 5, like, I'll probably have to figure out evening childcare, you know, sometimes. Yeah. But, like, I want to listen to books on tape. I'm so excited. And podcasts. Podcasts and books on tape. I'm just, like, it feels like, uh, you know, there will be actual time to do things I enjoy. <laughs> I know, Sarah, I'm excited for you to start listening to podcasts because I feel like there's so much we can't talk about because you don't have time to listen to podcasts. So yeah, I'm excited to, uh, you know, bully you into listening to the podcasts I want you to listen to. It will to. not take bullying. I cannot wait. <laughs> well, I love this question from Kayla. She asks, I would love to know how slash where you write and your setup when you're not at your treadmill desk. Do you actually write while on your treadmill? Do you sit at desks or use laptops and prefer mobility? Do you write in bed? Do you need to have certain things nearby? Not practical like Zoom lipsticks, but more like a particular candle or a certain type of pen. Oh, what a fun question. Yes. Well, here at the lake, I have a like a wingback chair that also is like secretly a recliner. So I will sit in that to write or I will sit on my bed. We are, when we're writing together, we actually are writing often on our treadmill desks because we're using the collaborate feature in Final Draft, which I wanted to say has seemed less glitchy lately. Have you noticed, Liz? Yes, I think they've made improvements. They might have. So that's me. Liz, what about you? I almost exclusively write in bed. That is just where I find it easiest to write. So if you and I are writing together, I write in the office, yeah, either sitting on my couch or at the treadmill desk. But if I'm just writing on my own, 95% of the time I'm in bed. The only thing I have nearby are icebreakers. I like to eat icebreakers while I write. So that's the only thing that and my phone are the only things I have nearby. 
I don't have like a candle or anything like that. No, I have, I, if I have like my Dr. Bronner's lip balm and oh, yeah. either cold brew or Diet Coke, I am, I'm good. Yes. And water. Yes, and I usually have coffee as well. Okay, coming up, we answer the question of how money works for a writing team. But first, this break. Okay, Sarah, Laura asks, how does the money work for a writing team? Do you have to ask for more as a team or do they see you as one person? Mm, Good question. Um, We split it. We split it in half. Yep. And I do think maybe we cost more than some people, although we're women, so we also cost a lot less than other people. (laughs) True. Men. But yeah, they see us as one person. And I think also we're getting better at making sure we get what we deserve. Mm -hmm. I think in the past, we've taken much less than we deserve, which really sucks as a writing team. We're less likely to do that now. Yes, but we do warn people because we get a lot of questions like from people who are thinking about becoming a team. And we do really warn people about it because, I mean, it truly is half the money. And now with and such it's not short half the orders, work. no, it's not. Everyone expects you both <laughs> to work 100% of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but with these short orders, like 10 episodes, eight episodes, having half the money makes a big difference. So um, so we do really want to caution people to think about it. Now, we absolutely love being in a team. It has worked for us, but it's not something to enter into lightly. And also, you know, we went to high school together. So, I mean, we just have a, a bond and, and, and trust that is just unshakable. So I think, if you know, you just have to really be careful because it's a big commitment. Yeah. And as we've said, also, you have to have the same level of ambition. When you're splitting the money yes. in half, you have to know that the other person is working as much as you are, yes. which I think we never think twice about. Yeah. If you're someone who's going to be tallying that or being like, you know, like when we both took maternity leaves when we had our kids, we both like there have been times when one of us has been working more than the other. But on a daily basis, I think we both feel like we're killing ourselves to <laughs> to accomplish yeah. what needs to be accomplished. Like we'll be like, OK, we need to just not work right now. You know, like we tend yes. to be the people who are like telling ourselves and each other, OK, take a break. But if you're someone who's going to be tallying, like I wrote three pages and you wrote four pages and, you know, like, it's not for you. Yes. And, you know, Sarah, something I wanted to add, um, there was a question about what we did and how we got our first staff job. (laughs) Just something else I wanted to add to that on this partner topic is that you and I sort of took advantage of being two women. We really started at a time when there were very few women. Yeah. People could get credit for hiring two women when they hired us as a team instead of just one. And so um, that made us a more appealing hire. Thank goodness now I don't think that's such an issue. Yeah. But um, I do think it helped us at the start of our career that people got two for the price of one. Absolutely. I think it's not even debatable. Definitely helped. (laughs) Oh, Liz, this is funny. Mary Therese says, one of the things I like best about the show is your Midwestern accents and sensibilities. Maybe a discussion of how you have maintained your Midwesternness and how it has affected your careers. Well, of course, I don't think of us as having accents, so that's funny. <laughs> I know. Our Midwesternness, I think, has both helped us and hurt us. 
you know, there are a lot of Midwesterners, by the way, in L.A., because there's a lot of people who move to L.A. from other places. I think it's helped us just because we have that nose to the grindstone work ethic that helps when you're, you know, we say at the beginning of this podcast that Hollywood is a war of attrition. And it really is. It's like, just can you keep moving forward? And if you, you know, and and if you don't fall out, then probably eventually you'll make a career for yourself. And I think that has been um, an advantage. And I think people feel like we're kind of open and trustworthy, which is, you know, an advantage because we are. Um, but I... I think we've talked about the disadvantage of mm-hmm. having integrity. <laughs> Which sadly is a true disadvantage. I mean, we have been so screwed over at times in our career because people knew they could take advantage. I call us sitting ducks, basically. Yeah. Anybody who wants to screw us over can because we won't counteract in a sneaky way. Yeah. We just it's won't just, go there. Yeah. We're too direct. We're too honest. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) I know. And we have we have had many conversations about changing that and and sort of trying to, I mean, really be devious or, you know, fight back or do these things. And it's just not who we are. We can't we can't pull that off. So we just have to go the other direction and hope it works out and it hasn't always worked out i mean more than once no it's resulted in us leaving jobs because we were just like we're not going to engage in this kind of behavior yeah well and people getting rid of us <laughs> but at the end of the day we have to be able to live with ourselves and that's who we are and it's not going to change sadly i don't know or or for the better this is something we will assess when we are in our retirement, we'll look back, yes. having drinks at the Ojai Valley Inn and go, should we fuck that yeah. person back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lisa says, this might be ridiculous, but as a non-writer, why does the writing team go on location? Is that so they can do on-the-spot rewrites? That is a good question. It is a good question. And right now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why we go. I don't want to go back to Puerto Rico right now. It's so hot. Um. I know. It's so beautiful, but it is very hot. Well, in television, writers are are also the showrunners. So we are involved in all aspects of production. So it makes sense for us to be there because we can meet with directors in person. We can meet with the costume designer. We can meet with the production designer. We can actually be on set and give notes to the director as she's shooting. So it's, it is actually very helpful to have us there. And yes, we can also do on-the-spot rewrites if something's not working. Or for instance, in Puerto Rico, we have an issue of rain. Like, we set a lot of the show outside, there may be a storm, and suddenly you have to rewrite something for inside, for instance. So there's a lot of reasons why it's helpful to everyone to have us there. And it's not just us as the showrunners. We also, you know, all writers at a certain level are producers. So having any writer on set functioning in that producerial role 
can be really helpful. We Adria, who's our number Super two helpful. on the show, she actually, she was in Puerto Rico for five weeks. She left and then she came back for another month just to kind of be there and say, okay, these are the issues that production is having. How can we help adjust? What can we move? Can we change something from day to night? All of these uh, sort of producing-related jobs um, are also things that writers do in TV. Yes. So when we came back to L.A., basically Adria went there and covered, and now we're going back. Listeners, thank you for all these great questions, and thank you for the interest in Fantasy Island. I can't wait for everyone to see it on Fox August 10th. (laughs) And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. We love to hear from you. Email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed. Thanks to everyone at Sankola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram, at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and Do the Thing from Whole 30's Melissa Urban. And check out the newest Onward Project podcast, Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at Liz Craft and Sarah is at S. Fain. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join the conversation. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Sarah, should we do this one last question? Um, have Sarah made has Sarah made Dole Whips yet? Yeah, except was I gonna make Dole Whips? I don't know. I you remember must have something said you were vaguely about Dole Whips. <laughs> I'm <laughs> like, guessing you haven't made them yet, if that's no, your answer. No, I haven't. But I like Meanwhile, it as a plan. how good does a Dole Whip sound? Oh my God, so good. From the Onward Project. <laughs>